when you when you start to look at Noah and the Ark, this is just an awesome every detail, just like everything else, is just an awesome picture. I mean, it, it actually is mentioned in the New Testament too. I mean, at least uh, at least by Jesus once, and uh, and when he says, "As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be." And the day of the son of uh, son of man, or something like that, and uh, and then also at the end of Peter, I think it, I can't remember if it's First Peter or Second Peter, that Peter says that the salvation pictured in the story of Noah corresponds to our baptism, and he says specifically not the washing away the filth of the flesh, but the answer. I'm trying to quote it here, but I'm going to butcher it. It's an answer towards God of a clean conscience. In other words, and it, it, we could go into all the, what that means and, and, and try to describe it, and I think I have in other teachings before. But uh, my point is that, I mean, even that even they were clearly stating that this story had has things in it that point us to other things that we should really understand. And of course, the things that we need to understand are not things at all. They're actually spiritual, it's spiritual reality as it is in Christ. So that the truth as it is in Christ becomes the truth as it is in us. That's the point. The point is not to figure out the Old Testament. The point is to see the Old Testament and and let the Spirit of God use these stories and pictures and prophecies and, and types and shadows to testify in our hearts of what God has accomplished now through the cross and let it be so in us. Let it What he has done, let it be in us the way it is in him. So, uh, anyway, the whole story begins. We talked, I think we ended up last time talking about how the, the natural... Um, Man fell. <clears throat> he fell from purpose and he began to take on an image and a likeness of something that wasn't what he was supposed to be testifying to or bearing the image of or reflecting. And he, and from God's point of view, that was a very grievous thing. That was, uh, it, it was not just like a slight uh, change, it was a total, complete change. Uh, what was created to be, be, uh, this this absolutely beautiful, intricate testimony of Jesus Christ became this uh, fallen and and man centered and sin governed testimony of something absolutely different, and so God's response was not like, "Man, this isn't what I," you know. He, he doesn't just just say, "This is different than what I want." He says things like, "Everything." thought and intent of their hearts is only evil all the time or I'm grieved that I have made man on the earth or you know I will I cannot contend with flesh any longer I'm going to put him all away I mean he starts to he starts to make these grandiose statements about the the uh, the, the condition of, of earth after losing the image of uh, of Christ, and 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 that's why th- this judgment comes in as a picture of the cross. See, you see that that's 
that that's what the cross is. It's the end of everything that has fallen short of the glory of God. You see, what's glory? Glory is the is the self-expression, self-revelation of God. He glorifies himself first in a natural creation. He glorifies himself second in a, in a creation of Israel, a covenant creation, where all the things involved in that covenant people were pictures of him. All from the instruments to the kings, you know. He glorifies himself uh, anew in, in, his, in his son Christ, which is the perfect, as Hebrews says, representation, the exact image of what God is, the Son. And then he puts that glory in you so that you can know it and, and bear its image, which is the whole gospel, Christ, and you the hope of glory, the, well, the expectation of glory. That's that's the whole thing. It's all about that. We were talking about that this morning at, at, our, uh, at our group this morning here in Costa Rica. And... and uh, and in, in each one of these case, in, in, in all these stories, we, I put up the the uh, diagram last week about the three primary pictures of the cross. Although there are hundreds of smaller ones, there's three kind of huge pictures of the cross that, to me, seem like just kind of like central, almost like three chapters of the Old Testament. Um, one has to do with the, the flood. The other has to do with the Exodus from Egypt, the judgment and the Lamb, the coming out, and then the other, and then getting you know the whole wilderness promised land thing. And then there's the, the the corporate Israel, the corporate son or whatever you want to call it in covenant that then is is uh, judged by uh, the sword, the captivity of of uh, Assyria and Babylon. I've mentioned those as kind of one thing, even though they were about a hundred years apart. But it's it's still kind of uh, one picture there. But and we'll get into all that, you know, later. But but in each case, here's what I'm what I'm saying it for. In each case, something that God established as a picture of Jesus Christ and a people living in Him, because that's what that's what the world was when it, the natural creation was like that. Israel was like that. Uh, Israel was like that. Right when they came out of. Uh, Egypt and, and, and Israel is supposed to be like that when they are all in the land too, uh, hundreds of years later. In each case, they lost the image of what they were created to reflect. That's what happened. Adam lost the image of, of Christ and, and needed to be put away. He, what, what, what's another way to say that? He fell short of the glory of God. He, his, his life, his being, his relationship with the earth, his relationship with himself, none of it now bore the image that it was created to, to um, express. And so God doesn't say, let's make a few changes here, tweak this, tweak that. No, he just says, boom, I'm going to cut the entire thing off and start with something that's a new creation. That's what this story is about. He does the same Israel, same thing. He takes he he, he creates them uh, from nothing. I mean, in fact, if you go through the prophets, uh, try to pay attention to how many times God says, "I created you, Israel, O Jacob. You are you are the 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 handiwork of my strong right arm, or I made you." You know. And um, what's his point there? His point was that there was a, another creation. A, cre- a covenant creation, a creation that came out of a blood-covered door. He created them out of the death of a lamb. And out comes this new creation, Israel my son. And he actually calls Israel his heavens and earth over and over and over and over again in the prophets. He actually refers to Israel as a new creation, a heavens and earth. And, and in some ways, talks about them as a... a um, 
in the same language uh, that he uses in Genesis chapter 1. He, at one point he talks in Jeremiah, I want to say it's, uh, uh, I don't, I don't want to guess, but somewhere in Jeremiah, I want to say 7, but I'm not sure, he says to, uh, or maybe it's 4, he says to Israel, you know, um, that they were formless and void, without light. And he starts to describe them in the same condition of, of the natural creation before he began to act upon it. Anyway, all of that is what's... This is the first time we're bumping into this reality, okay? And we're, 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 we're finding a, a very deliberate picture of, of what God's going to do in the cross, and we're finding a man that has fallen short, and and God is God is making these sweeping general statements about all of the Adamic creation, except for this one man. And it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And 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 I, I want I want us to understand that that doesn't mean that Noah wasn't an Adamic man. Noah wasn't. Um, that's not saying that you know everyone was a partaker of the Adamic nature except for Noah. Noah, I mean, Noah found, found grace means that God. I mean, at least in part, I think it means that God began to deal with Noah in a very particular way, according to grace. Noah had faith, and and by faith, and if you listen to the Hebrews teachings we're doing now, we've been talking a lot about how how the the, the 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 men and women of the old covenant that saw by faith saw the things that were to come and their natural lives became testimonies of it and noah by faith god began to relate to him as a picture or as an image of christ that's the point okay it, it it's he's not and it's important we understand that because this story is not about God saving the best and and putting away the rest. You know, uh, this story is about God destroying everything and preserving in one man and by one man. Well, not preserving really, as much as br- bringing life out of <clears throat> one man and and those who are joined together with that one man. Those who are who come to be a new creation together with that man, and the language is perfect. So, um, and I'll say that I'll get to that in a second here. But let's see. One of the things I want to point out about this this particular view of the cross in 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 Noah, and it's the same of every every view of the cross you see in one way or another. It's it's not a it's not a story of it's a story of salvation. But it's a story of salvation through judgment, and that is so important. It's 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 not salvation without judgment. It's about it has to do with this cataclysmic end, destruction, separation of an entire kind, of an entire creation, and then the coming forth out of that, out of this dark ark that was that had three chambers and and. Uh, and was swallowed up in the midst of the sea too. You know, it didn't. It didn't like float on a cloud during the during during the flood. It actually went right into the midst of the flood, and it came out. Uh, what what came out of it was something totally new. Okay, but but the thing we need to understand about this is that God 
the, the view of the cross here, it's the same, it's the same with the Babylonian captivity. It's the same with the Exodus. It's the same, it's the same, I mean, wherever you go, those are the three biggies that, I, that, you know, will be kind of dancing around throughout the entire Old Testament here. But all the little views too of the cross, the little pictures here and there, they're all going to deal with this same thing. The way that life happens is through death. The way that newness comes is through the end of what was before it. Okay? First there is an end, then there is a beginning. Okay? First he puts away the first. Remember the whole story of Cain and Abel? We talked about this last week. The first is put away, is rejected. The second is accepted. This story is about that. This story is about the, the end of the first. And then out from the, the, the ashes of the destruction of the first comes forth this this totally new thing. Now I know, you know, types and shadows only go so far because they're shadows. You know, they don't they're not actually the reality of the of the thing. You know, I, I know the, the the animals that came out of the ark for instance weren't actually different. It wasn't like you know, they they went in as a chicken and it came out as a pterodactyl or something. It, it it's not like the animals changed, but what but what what the picture is is well, in general the the general picture is that Noah is Christ, the 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 ark is the cross with its three chambers, uh, probably representing the three days death, burial, resurrection. Those three realities of the cross: death, burial, resurrection. He puts Christ and those who will go in with him, okay, to, inside this death, inside the cross, inside this work, inside this thing that is that is. In in one sense, it's not it's not destruction, but it is. Uh, I think it is a picture of death. You know, I mean, it's not it's not the destruction that was outside the ark, but it's not like again, it's not like Cedar Point or something. It's not like the, it's not like they were all just having a fun time. It was getting locked in this this place, this dark, storm tossed. Uh, smelly ark with three chambers where God himself, it says, and I love how it says, God himself shut the door, slammed the door shut and sealed it, sealed him in there, you know, that's what God does. So here's Christ taking with him those who are to be the, you know, the family of Noah. In fact, there's a verse here that's really important. Um, in uh, let's see here, I gotta skip down a little bit. When, when you when you get to Genesis seven verse twenty three, this is after the destruction of the of the world. It says this. It says, and only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. This, the language of it. it doesn't say, and Noah's family survived. You know, <laughs> it doesn't say that. It doesn't say. Uh, I mean, it could have said it a million different ways, but what does it say? Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. It's like saying, only Christ was left in the new creation, and those who were hidden in him, who were with him through the cross, in the cross, in the death, gone resurrection that, that they experienced, in, in those three days. And You know what I'm saying? So the, the language there is very conspicuous. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to stand out. Uh... And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself there, but but that's what's going on. So they go in, and uh, and, and the flood comes, and 
God's relating to Noah by grace as a picture of of Christ and and God provides a way through the ark that one man can experience the judgment of God and yet by some miracle come out on the other side with his own family with his own uh with a new creation and with a new covenant that's what happens what happens as soon as they open the door on the other side of the ark or when it's all done? first of all where do they go they're raised up just like you know Paul says even though you were dead in sin and transgressions you've been you know first we've been baptized into Christ's death okay we're stuck in that ark and sealed up in there with him but then we are what? We, what does it say? You are made alive with him, raised up with him, and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ, right? So that's what this ark does. They go in, they're raised up, seated on top of the waters until they are set down on the top of the mountain of God. And, and, and then when they come out, they don't come out and there's nothing of the old that's there it's all new you know i mean at least in the in the, again type and shadow language going as far as it can go it, it's newness the animals that were on the ark begin to reproduce you know and uh and and there's all of a sudden and then there's the family of noah the ones who were joined to him as kin joined to him as family um there begins to be an increase of that seed, and more than that, uh, there's this 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 uh, rainbow thing that ha- well, there's the ho- the burnt offering, and and then the rainbow and the whole picture of the of the new covenant there. So, um, before, before I get into that, uh, let me just make sure I'm not getting too far ahead here and skipping some stuff that I think is important. I mentioned how God shuts them in. Um, I, I, that this is another. Remember back in uh, in Genesis, uh, where we talked about how God, we saw the first picture of the door, and we said we're going to see the door a bunch of times. We're going to see it uh, over and over again in the Old Testament, um, it, because everything that Jesus came and said, "I am." is something that God had testified to bunches of times in the Old Testament. When he says, I am the door, it's not just any old door that you imagine. It's the door that he testified about. When he says, I'm the vine, when he says, I'm the good shepherd, when he says, I'm the, the light, I'm the whatever. He, he, these are things that he's he's claiming himself to be the fulfillment of these things that have have a history of testimony here. So... The first time we saw the door was when God, it didn't say door really, but it says that the, the cherubim guarded the way to the garden of Eden, to the tree of life, you know. And so you see kind of Adam and Eve thrown out and the door slammed shut. And the, the door in that case was this cherubim with the flaming sword. And uh, for, for me, that's the first time you see this door. What's the door? Well, part of the perspective of God about Christ as the door is he's the flaming sword that guards the tree of life, which is also him, but it's there's a cross, there's a there's a way that that the only way to experience that life is to pass by that flaming sword where one man is cut down, where one man is destroyed, you know, where fire consumes the wood, hay and stubble of the first creation. 
Well, it's kind of similar in this one again. God puts them, and, and the cross has this door again. What's the only way to have life on the other side of the flood? Uh, other side of the flood? It's to go through this door. You know, the door that God Himself made, and and God Himself shuts, and God puts you in it, and then you don't come out again until the whole first creation and first man has been removed from the face of the earth. I mean, the picture is perfect because that's what the cross is. Exactly what the cross is. You go into the cross, and you you come out having been crucified to the world and the world crucified to you. Now, whether you're, whether, whether spiritual comprehension, which is also called faith or the revelation of Christ or the mind of Christ or light shining in your heart to give you the light of the understanding of the glory of God in the face of Christ or whatever way you want, whether, whether your spiritual comprehension has caught up to God's finished work or not, in other words, whether you're walking in the light of, of, of the finished work of the cross or not, as a, as a personal reality and experience, doesn't change the fact that you, don't, you come out of the other side of that door dead to sin. That's what Paul says, Romans chapter 6. Crucified to the world. That's what Paul says, Galatians chapter 6. You come out, uh, and, and he starts relating to believers, like in Colossians chapter 2. Why, as though you are still living in the world, do you... Submit yourself to things like do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. handle. And, and he begins to relate to believers on the other side of the flood. He begins to cre- relate to them, you know, why are you looking back at the things that were drowned in the flood? Why are you still living as slaves to the things that, you know, treaded water for a couple hours and then drowned? You know, wh- why are you going back to that? It's, it's pointless. And, uh, and so there's the door. And, and and the second time we see the door. So then Jesus says, I'm the door, you know. And and he says that in John chapter 10. And, and it's interesting because he says, I, I, he who, how did he say? He who enters by me will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, the, the, the analogy there is a little bit different because he's talking about sheeps and, uh, and a door and, and a pasture and all that kind of stuff. But still, it's kind of got the same elements. You go in. And then you come out, not, you don't come out of Christ, but you, you, you experience Christ as a way in and as a way out of something where you then find pasture, you know. It's not like you like pop into Christ and then you pop out and, you know, nibble some grass and then go back into Christ. That's not the picture I think you're supposed to see there. I think you're supposed to see that Jesus is the way. He's an entrance and an exodus. Same thing in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, in, in, in the door. When did, when did Israel, from God's point of view, you know, pop quiz. When did Israel actually leave Egypt from God's point of view? I would say the moment they went in that door. You know, the moment they walked through that blood-covered door, they had nothing to do. In fact, they had to go in that door and eat the lamb in a very specific way. With their sandals, standing up with their sandals on their feet, with their staffs in their hand, with their their loins girded, with their cloaks and stuff, ready to take off. Because going in that door and eating that dead lamb, from God's point of view, was like being put in a catapult and launched out of the old creation, out of that world of sin and death. They had to eat that in a hurry because just as soon as it was eaten, they had nothing to do with Egypt. 
nothing to do with that man, nothing to do with Pharaoh. They had no obligation to listen to Pharaoh anymore or do any of his you know, slave work or anything. They had to eat the lamb with their sandals on, their staff in their hand, their their their, their cloaks wrapped around them, their kids ready to go. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd have these flashbacks. I haven't seen snow in a few. I mean, for real. I mean, I've visited the states, but I remember trying to get all four of my kids in the in the van. You know, on a on a snowy day, it takes like forty five minutes to get all their little shirts and boots and everything on. You know, and then you finally get him in the car. But it's like getting everything ready to go, and then everyone say, "Okay, now take a bite of the dead lamb, and we're out of here." And just in the middle of the night, then this cry comes out from from Pharaoh, and says, "And this is what he says." I mean, you can go back and read it. He says, "Rise up, Moses, you, and all of your people, and go out from among us." That's what he says. I mean, it's it's almost too perfect. It gives me goosebumps. Rise up, Jesus, you and all who are with you, and get out from among this creation. Get out from among this. I mean, you know, we have you have nothing to do with it, with us, and we don't even you know we have nothing in common. Get out, and when you go out, then you can offer up to your God what is pleasing, because you can't do it here in Egypt. That was the whole thing. They kept saying, Moses, why don't you just offer up your sacrifices to God in Egypt? And Moses was like, you know, that's an abomination. You know, Egypt and worshiping God don't mix. That land and pleasing God, it, it doesn't work. You have to go out. You have to become a new creation. You have to go into a death first and come out as a new creation. You have to go into the ark, and then on the other side of the ark, that's when Noah builds his altar and offers up to God the burnt offering. That's when he does it. On the other side is where God receives that sweet-smelling aroma of all that has been put away and all that has been raised up to him. You know, I mean, the, the, the pictures, again, I get all, I get all uh, uh, kind of, you know, excited and stuff when I talk about it because it's just amazing. It's just, the, they're, 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 all of these stories, they're so different, but somehow God has weaved them all together to paint these multifaceted pictures of the exact same reality. And in, in, in the ark, getting back to the ark story, God provides a way for this one man to, uh, to to enter into this judgment, and yet to come out the other side. Okay, and uh, so you know, to me, this story is reminiscent of like the story of Jonah. Jonah didn't really. I mean, if you ask him afterwards, I don't think he would have say, said, I escaped the judgment of God, because they threw him in the sea. I mean, the, the sea, by the way, is, a, is often involved in these stories. Um, but, they, you know, they threw, they threw Jonah in the sea, and, and, and the whale, you know, or the big fish or whatever, swallowed him up for three days. And, 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 and from his own prayer, it, it almost seems like he was dead. I mean, I, I know we always talk about him sitting in there like whittling or something for three days. But like, if you read the prayer of Jonah, um, it says something about—I uh, forget exactly how it says it. Something about bringing him up out of Sheol or something like that. I don't know. I'm not sure if he died or not. I'm not trying to make a new uh, uh, theology out of it. But the point is, he didn't really escape being judged. He went into into uh, judgment. Uh, for three days and then came out and proclaimed the gospel to, in this case, to the Gentiles. And uh, they repented while 
Hey, that whole story, that's another one that's just awesome. And Jesus himself uses that, that very same two or three occasions in the Gospels. He says, look, no sign will be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. And he wasn't just talking about, by the way, he wasn't just talking about uh, uh, the uh, the fact that he was, I mean, he says three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, I'll, and I will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, you know. Jesus says that, and he's kind of filling in some of the blanks for us there. But it's, it's, I think it's more than that, because he's talking to the Jews. And the fact that they're, they're demanding signs, and yet they're not even believing him. And so, anyway, Jonah comes out and preaches to the Gentiles who receive him. And that makes Jonah, the Jew, mad. And, uh, and then there's this vine that appears and is cut down. Anyway, I, I don't want to get into all that, but the whole point is everything about that story of Jonah too is kind of like this in the sense that there's this there's this judgment. It's a three-day thing, as, as it often is, and it has to do with water. It has to do with him entering into judgment, but then coming out on the other side. And... Uh, and so, well, it's the same thing in that I have all these different examples here written here, but uh, in the Exodus story, Israel was judged in the Lamb. Um, you know, we usually see just a, just a rescue there from, from Egypt, but they had there's, there's several ways that God painted that picture of, of how they participated in that death. They painted the blood, they went into the blood, they ate the dead lamb. And, okay, so... So, so the mountain. So, so they they get raised up and they get set down on this mountain. And then when they come out of the, uh, they come out of the ark. Which I think what we're meant to see is this, um, this 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 some this new thing coming out of the ark and living not just in a new earth that has already been judged. And not just uh, new, a new kind of a reproduction of animals and kind of like a new creation in that sense. But there's also this brand new covenant. A covenant. And in fact, it's the first time you see this word uh, covenant that I can remember at least. I think it is uh, in, in the Bible. And uh, the covenant is another word that becomes massively important. Um, in fact, I don't. Yeah, I mean, a, a covenant is is huge because a covenant is a relationship. A covenant is a very specific relationship. Okay, that's a, a lot of times you know there's churches called New Covenant this or that or or people that you know talk about how we're not in the Old Covenant anymore or we're in the New Covenant, but a lot of times what that means to people is very little more than we don't have to sacrifice goats and bulls, you know, or um, I, I don't even know what it, what it means, honestly, to, to a lot of people. I, I know for me, it didn't mean anything for, I mean, a, a long time. I, I just kind of thought New Covenant, yeah, New Testament after Jesus. Uh, I don't know what I did with that. But, but, but covenant is a specific relationship that has specific boundaries, specific uh, a specific understanding that that defines it. You know, 
I have a covenant relationship with my wife. There are certain things that are absolutely not, not part of that relationship and never should be. There are certain things that are naturally part of that relationship and always should be. It's a very specific relationship. It's a different relationship than I have with the guy who cuts the lawn here. Um, it, it's very different in, in so many different ways. There's things that I could uh, – well, I'd, <laughs> I'd probably leave that alone – there's just a lot of things different about the relationship, you know, because it's a covenant. It's a very specific kind of relationship, you know. And that's what a covenant is. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and so God, God makes this specific relationship, but, but what is it? And, and, and we need to understand this. We need to, we need to really see this because if, if you start to see it now, or if we see more of it now, if we've already seen something of this in the light, it's going to shed a lot of light on the fact that we now have a covenant with God. Okay, A covenant, as I just said, is a specific relationship, but whenever God made a covenant, it was always a way of relating to a people in some view or another of Jesus Christ. That's what that's what the covenants all were. So when God, and what I'm trying to say is that when they came out of the, came out of the ark and God said I'm going to make a covenant, here's my covenant. And he started describing things. Very few in the beginning. You know, the, the the covenants as they God never really in a sense he never really puts away any covenants. He just kind of fills in more details. And even when the new covenant came, he in a sense he put away the old, but he put it away by fulfilling it. That's why Jesus was really really particular on that point. He goes, I didn't come to to nullify it, I didn't come to destroy it, I came to fulfill it. Because every covenant up until the coming of the new covenant was one picture or another of what it means for God to relate to to humanity in his son. Starting with Noah. Noah is the first one. You know, the, some of the big ones are, you know, you, there's the Noah covenant, and then there's the covenant with, uh, uh, well, there's the, there, there, there's Abraham. Is I mean, there, there's there's a few little ones that don't usually make the list, like Phineas, David, sometimes doesn't make the list. But you know, most people talk about Noah, and they talk about Abraham, they talk about Moses, you know, and but uh, but there's a handful of covenants, and 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 they're all every one of them is it's just like as if God walked up to a wall and painted the boundaries of Jesus Christ on a wall with paint and then wrote the the details picture just picture him doing this okay he goes up to a wall with paintbrush does this does this outline of this man in in, in, in uh, on a white wall with black paint, but just kind of the outline, and then in the middle of that of that man, he begins to write the 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 aspects of Christ that he's beginning to bring into view in this covenant. Okay, and he, what he wants people to do is to stay within those boundaries. What he wants people to do is to relate to him within that particular view of Christ. Now, uh, a few hundred years later, Abraham, Abraham comes along, and, and God picks up the pencil, and he goes back, and he stays within the same boundaries of the man that he drew on the wall, because it's Christ, and he starts to fill in a few more details. You know, in uh, in Noah, all, all it really talks about is, I mean, the two primary aspects, as far as I can see, are... There is no more judgment because flesh has been put away. I will never again destroy the earth like I just did, you know, with water. 
he destroys it with the cross later. But, I mean, it's a picture of the fact that there's nothing more to destroy. I've destroyed everything that was contrary to me. It's all gone. I'm not going to do it. Don't have to do it again. Because if you live in this covenant, you live in the newness of what I've brought out from this death. Okay? So, and then the other thing is the blood, the life. He gives them the life after the death of the, of the, of the, uh, the flood. The life is his to give. It's not theirs. It, it, he gives them life. And so it's sacred. It's not something to be drunk. It's not something to be spilled without, you know, you can't just go spill man's blood like, like they were doing uh, all the time before the flood. The blood is, is life and it's given to them from God. So the, these are the two, the two main things here. Okay, I've given you life after the, after the flood. God is saying, here, here's the covenant I've made with you. I, 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 the life that you have is mine. Don't take it from that guy. Don't even take it from an animal, except, and he gives them, you know, you can eat it, whatever, but it has to be poured out into the ground. Don't ever drink the blood. It's mine. The blood's, the blood is mine. And, uh, and, and, and then he says, and here's the other deal. I will never again do what I did. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's now nothing left to judge. I just I judged everything. Now, obviously this again, this is a picture. It's a shadow. Adam or Noah had the same Adamic nature and 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 you begin to see that pretty quickly. And the whole earth fills up again with uh, you know, Adam's expression. But at least for the sake of types and shadows, Noah is this new creation that has been given life, that has been given judgment and given life, that has been given a death, that has been given a resurrection. Okay, Noah's been been given these two things. He's been given a death he couldn't die and a life he couldn't live. And there, those are the two sides of that. Those are the two aspects here. So God walks up to the wall. The first thing he does, he goes, I'm going to describe this Noah covenant. And he's got this big, big outline of a guy on the wall. And he takes this little pencil out and he writes these two things. No condemnation in here, in, within the boundaries of this man that I just drew. There's no condemnation here. Everything's already been judged. And then he takes out his pencil again and he says, the life that's inside here, it's mine. The life in here is told, it's my, you can't take it. You can't, you can't do whatever you want with it because it's mine. And then he just walks away and you don't see that pencil come out again for a while. And then it comes out again with Abraham. And Abraham goes back, you know, uh, Abraham relates to God and God begins and I'm getting, you know, weeks and months ahead of myself here in Genesis, but God pulls the pencil back out, walks back up to the wall and says, let me give you a few more f- features, okay, of this of this man. And he starts to describe circumcision. And he starts to describe faith. And he starts to describe the land and the seed and the increase and the victory. And and, and he, he starts putting all, the, all those things are part. It's not a different man. It's not a different, it's not really a different covenant. It's just more pictures of the same Jesus in whom we would relate to God. That's what he was doing. And then, you know, what's so cool later is if you read Isaiah, Isaiah 42 and 49. Um, I think I wrote those verses down here. Look at what God said. So after, you know, after doing the... um, Okay, so keep in mind that picture of the guy on the wall that that represents Jesus and these things. So God writes in pencil and he writes these things about the Noah covenant and the Abraham covenant. He does it with the Moses covenant and he does it with the Phineas covenant, which is which is an interesting one because he kills with Phineas. You see, it's a it's a covenant of peace, 
if you haven't read that story in a while, this 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 may sound a little bit foreign, but he kills Jew and Gentile together with one staff. That's what Phineas did, and he made peace. It's exactly what you find in Ephesians chapter chapter 2, that God put to death on the cross Jew and Gentile and made peace in one new man who is neither Jew nor Gentile, and he did it through the work of his cross. Well, here, Phineas, you got two, you got Jew and Gentile in one tent. Uh, you remember the story here, I won't get into the details, but... Um, and Phineas goes in there with a staff, with a cross, with a spear, whatever. And he just puts to death the Jew and the Gentile with one blow. And God commends him for it and says, I, I, this, this is, Phineas has, has um, uh, satiated my wrath. Or that's not the word he uses, but it's something like that. And has established a covenant of peace. You know? And what's the, what's the main focus of Ephesians chapter 2? With that, it's peace. For he, it says, for he himself is our peace, who has taken down the wall of hostility and had taken Jew and Gentile and put them both to death on the same cross and this and that, whatever. And and now Christ is our peace. And by one Spirit, we are all made to drink of of one salvation. I guess that's not right, but it's something like that. And and uh, so. So that so he you know that's in there too in the David the covenant with David too which is an awesome awesome reality I can't wait to get to that one year but um, and and so that, so now in Isaiah after all that's been done hundreds of years after David Isaiah's prophesying and 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 there's these there's these eight um, things in the book of Isaiah there's these four sometimes they're called songs or poems about the servant. Everyone's familiar with Isaiah 53 where it talks about, you know, uh, bruised for our transgressions or crushed for our iniquities and all that famous one. But there's four of those about the servant and then there's four of those about the reigning king. And uh, and two of the ones uh, about the servant uh, in 42, and, and these are just what they are. They're just the father speaking to the son um, about what's going to take place in um, th- through the cross and, and through through the work of Christ. So that's what these four. That's what these eight things are in, um, and they, they, they totally stand out too. You can't. I mean, you can. I could. If you're interested, I, I'll send you the you know the actual verse from here to here is the first one. But they're not like they're not like argued. They just kind of stand out. All of a sudden, God starts to speak to His son and says things like. I will give you as right. Here's one in Isaiah 42:6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will hold your hand, and, I, and this is the part I wanted to point out. And I will give you as a covenant to the people, and as a light to the Gentiles. Now that's a, and he says the same thing in Isaiah 49. He says, uh, in an acceptable time I have heard you, in the day of salvation I have helped you, I will preserve you, and I will give you as a covenant to the people to restore the land and to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. But in both of these verses, what, what, what's a covenant again? It's a very specific relationship. What is our covenant with God? It's a person. It's a person. 
put it this way what is our relationship with God is it a list of things that you know we do and he does back no 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 it's it's a person he's and he said it to his son I'm going to give you as a covenant you're going to be the relationship that they have with me you're not only going to be the relationship you're going to be the light too and I liked how he follows up that first one in Isaiah 42 6 he says you're the relationship and you're the light of this covenant and uh, and what does that mean well that just means that that big thing that was drawn on the wall with all those little things that were written inside all the details and you know more than any of them the Mosaic covenant you know had a lot of writing involved in it every single aspect it's like picture that 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 outline of that man in black paint with all those things written in there in the middle of it with pencil all of a sudden it just steps right off the wall and it's a person and, and and that person says, I am. I'm all these things. And and if you live in me, well, then guess what? Let's go back to Noah. If you live in me, there is now no nothing left to judge. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know you want to know something else? If you live in me, the blood is sacred. The blood is mine. The life is mine. I've given it to you. You know? And then you could skip ahead to the Abraham covenant. If you live in me, this man who just jumped off the wall says, then you've been circumcised with a circumcision that's without hands, the removal of the entire body of flesh through the circumcision of Christ, Colossians 2.11. If you you live in me, then there's an inheritance, and it has to do with an increase. It's a kingdom. It's, It's filling up a land. It, 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 there's also a victory involved over the, over all of the the enemies of of righteousness. It, you're going to experience all of it in me. It's all right here inside of me. I, I'm the relationship. I'm the place. I'm the person. I'm the substance. I'm the light. I'm all of it. And and and, and that's I, I just I just love I love that language. So so. That's what's going on here. That's at least that's all that about the covenant, and, I, and I'm running out of time here. But um, all, all of that is is what's going on here, right? Right here in, in Noah. Can you can you can you see that that's what's happening? God God puts away the first, puts away the flesh, puts away the old creation. He says to the, I'm going to destroy the earth with the crea- I mean, I'm going to destroy Adam with the creation. I'm going to I'm destroying the whole thing, and I'm going to make something totally new. And there's going to be a new. It's like God saying, I've ended my relationship with flesh. Remember when he said, I will strive no longer with flesh. Noah, build an ark. Remember that? It's like, Noah, build a cross. Because, you know, make it have three chambers that are death, burial, and resurrection. Make it have this, that, whatever. Build this ark because I'm not going to strive any longer with flesh. That, that, that striving is over. So, God ends his relationship with man in the flesh and now begins to relate to man in spirit, in Christ. In It's a covenant and it's a very particular view of Jesus Christ that he's relating to people in. So then, that's why I have some of these verses here. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered them offered burnt offerings uh, on, on the altar. 
And uh, by the way, that's why he brought seven of every. He brought two of every unclean animal. Usually in like the little kitty books and stuff, there's just like two giraffes and you know two aardvarks and stuff. But he 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 brought seven of all the clean animals, and uh, and two of uh, of all the unclean animals. It's seven so that he could he could do this afterwards, you know. And so he offers these ones up on this on this altar. And it says, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, what was the pleasing aroma? It was just, it was just perfect judgment. It was a, it was a, a dead, it was a flesh put away and life lifted up. You know, it was, it was, all that remains is Noah and those who are with him in the ark. That's that's what he was smelling. And then God says, I will never again. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never will I again strike down every living creature as I have done. And he doesn't ever do that again, at least not in type and shadow. He does it in the fulfillment of the cross, but not in a natural, physical, external, you know, material way. He, but, but basically that's exactly what happens at the cross. So, um, yikes, I didn't get nearly... Um, see the rainbow is such a cool the, the rainbow the, the the multiple colors of the rainbow is something that pops up uh, 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 several times in the Old Testament associated with judgment um, and maybe we should pick that up next time for the for the sake of time i i I really wanted I really wanted to get to this thing well I'll say a little bit about the rainbow, but I really wanted to get to this thing about the um and you guys can can look at it for next time if you're interested at the end of Genesis chapter 9 verse 20 through 23 it's that whole story about a day uh, Noah uh, you know has a couple drinks too many and takes off his clothes and and his sons refuse to relate to him in the flesh they refuse to relate to him in the let me just say this. Just, it's because I just made I, I just made that huge point of just saying that God took away all flesh and removed it from His sight and created this place, this covenant for them to relate in. That's the only reason why this next part of the story makes any sense. If you try to understand this next part about Noah getting nude and 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 laying out and his kids throwing a you know sleeping bag over him or something. If you try to disunderstand that with the natural mind for and try to look for some little moral in that story that that's that you're never going to find it. I mean, what are you going to what's the point of it? Don't look at your dad naked or something. I mean, it doesn't have a natural um it doesn't have a natural point. It but it but it has an awesome spiritual point. And the spiritual point is that God having removed the flesh, having covered it with Christ, having having finished looking upon all flesh, that's now the nature of our relationship with one another and Christ. That's part of being in the covenant. So so it's just like Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter five. We now no longer know anyone according to the flesh, although we used to. Now we know everyone according to this. And he says, "What if any man is in Christ Jesus? The old things have been put away or passed away, and behold, all things have been made new." So that's why we don't relate to one another according to the the flesh any longer. That's why we, if we bump into somebody's flesh, if we see flesh, we we can cover it. We can walk over it backwards, not even look at it, and throw throw a blanket over it you know it's not part of the relationship it's yeah sure call it what it is it, it's ugly whatever but it's not it's not the place that we're connecting it's not the place that we come together and find 
relationship. It's not how it's not the nature of my relationship with you, the measure of flesh that's still working in you because of the unrenewed mind. It's not that's not the, the issue. And and uh it's not the substance of our relationship. And it's only because of this perfect finished work of the removal of the flesh that this next story is a picture then of how those who have experienced that judgment need to relate to one another out in another man, in another covering, in another in another in another view. So, all right, I'll leave it at that, and uh, 